How, uh, how many of you have heard of ChatGPT? Anyone here heard of, of ChatGPT? It's been, it's been in the news quite a bit. How about this, artificial intelligence? How many of you have heard of artificial intelligence? ChatGPT is a, is a website you can visit and, and, uh, and have a conversation with what essentially on the other end is an artificially intelligent computer system. You can ask it for information or, or ask it for things. It's a learning system, essentially with access to the entire internet, and it is having all these interactions with people, and it is learning from them. It's in testing right now, but it has a, a lot of potential applications. I'd heard a lot about it, and so I decided that uh, it was time to test it out. I mean, I needed a sermon for this weekend. A couple friends said it provides papers and stuff, and I thought, why not? So I opened an account, and I went and chat GPT, and I said, create a sermon on the Tower of Babel story in Genesis chapter 11. And it returned one. And I'm not going to preach that entire sermon, but let me just say, wow. Like, I don't know if that's an amazed wow or a scary wow, but it's, it's just wow. Um, I don't know that ChatGPT is ready to preach an entire sermon at Clay Church, although you may feel differently because it was only about eight minutes long. <laughs> so I'm just going to read the introduction paragraph and, and let you know that it is in this kind of style and quality all the way through. Dear brothers and sisters... Today we gather to reflect upon a profound event in human history, one that serves as a reminder of the dangers of pride and the power of unity. Our focus turns to the Tower of Babel, an account found in the book of Genesis, chapter 11. This captivating story carries timeless lessons that resonate with us even in our modern world. Let us explore the significance of this event and discern the wisdom it imparts upon us. Right? A little formal, a little stiff for my taste, but, but like the content is, is there. The rest of the sermon, it lacked any like personal story. So I just thought, all right, you can't do this. So I said, hey, tell me a personal story that I might use in this sermon. And it began to tell me about a time that it worked with some other people on a community service project. And how egos got in the way. Like it was a really good example of the Tower of Babel story. And I thought, has it really worked? Like did its ego get in the way as an artifact? Like I, I had all these questions. So some of you are thinking right now, yikes. Right? You're wondering, like if AI is this advanced, like is it going to displace jobs? Is it going to displace my job? You're wondering what happens if we don't set limits to it? Some of you are sitting there wondering if ChatGPT is going to join with Alexas and Roombas and take over our homes one at a time. Some of you are sitting and wondering, like what could this do? How could it make our lives better? What are the implications in studies and in medicine and in communication? What, how far could this go to help us as, as humanity? So is, is chat GPT good or is it bad? 
It's actually one of the questions the media is talking to people and, and wrestling with right now. Is it going to change the world or is it going to destroy it? When truth, right, it'll depend how it's used, ultimately. Now, some of you are now asking, like, what on earth does this have to do with the Bible? And some of you know we're talking about the Tower of Babel today, and you're like, wait, what does this have to do with the Tower of, of Babel? This month, we're taking stories in the Bible, and, and we're turning them inside out. Stories a lot of people know or, or sort of know of, and we're, we're turning them inside out, and we're, we're asking if we went a little bit deeper into these stories, what, what might they teach us about ourselves, and what might they teach us about our faith, and what might they teach us about God? Well, if we take a, a deep look at the Tower of Babel story, if we look inside, one of the things in this story is an incredible breakthrough in technology. We're going to take a look at that in just a minute. There's, there's a moment in the Tower of Babel that's like the chat GPT of its time. Let's pray. I'll leave you wondering what that is, and we'll explore the story in a moment. Would you pray with me? Holy God, open, open our minds to better understand your, your word and the stories of the Bible. Open our hearts to a deeper knowledge of your love for each one of us. And open our souls that we might experience your grace in these moments together and then carry the good news of Jesus to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Since it is Father's Day today, I thought I'd just take a, a quick moment for a Father's Day joke. What do you uh, call a preacher who teaches on and on and on and doesn't seem to make any sense? A Tower of Babel expert. Get it? Babel? Okay. It's Father's Day. You have to laugh at all your, all your dad's jokes today. I just want you to know. So we are going to talk about the Tower of Babel today. What, uh, what comes to, when you think about the Tower of Babel, like what comes to mind? What kind of building do you think of? How many of you think of like a, a cone-shaped building reaching up to the skies? Anybody cone-shaped building reaching up to the skies? What about, the, how many of you sort of picture a, a pyramid of ascending squares, kind of similar to what you'd see today in, in ancient Egypt or in some of the ruins in, in Central America? Anybody that comes to mind when you think of the Tower of Babel? How many of you picture like a cylindrical structure that's leaning just a little bit, kind of like the leaning tower of pizza? Yeah? The Leaning Tower of Pisa analogy was the, that was the staff. Like, we're all like, yeah, we, we think of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I'm really not sure why. How many of you have never really thought about what the tower looks like and don't really care? That's okay, too. Yeah, put those hands up. Uh, the truth is, we have no idea exactly what the, what the tower looked like, at least not how it was shaped. However, we do know some important things about the story because, because it tells us it tells us what the tower was made out of, right? Bricks. The tower was made out of bricks. Bricks was a, 
incredible technological advancement. Like we don't think of it today, we think of it as kind of rudimentary, but, but in the time, this idea that you could, you could take and, and fire a brick and make, make it stronger and build with it was like a, a huge breakthrough. Before this, houses were either built out of mud, and you know what happens when it rains a lot, right? Or they were built out of stone and you had to kind of stack the stones together and it was difficult, difficult to do. Right? The rocks were hard to move to begin with, let alone stick them together. And now, this new technology, we now know how to fire bricks as humanity. And to use tar, or bitumen, it sometimes says in your Bibles, to stick them together. Essentially mortar, to stick them together. This is amazing new technology. So now, hang on to that thought, and let's Let's read this whole story. This begins in Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Some of you may remember learning this story somewhere along the way and in Sunday school as a, as a lesson in humility, maybe, or as an origin story for how people got spread all over and there became different languages in all of the earth. Today, we're going to look a little bit deeper and ask this question, like, what do we notice in this story? What questions does this story raise? And we might begin with the verse that comes just before this story, in chapter 10. In chapter 10, we've had the whole story of Noah, and now we're, we're transitioning essentially to Noah's sons. And it says, the very last verse of chapter 10, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Which is interesting, because it says the people were afraid of spreading out, and yet they already were. Which leads us to ask, like, where were they going, and, and where were they settling, and, and why? And why were they worried about being spread out more? We tend to 
pay very little attention to directions in the Bible, east, west, north, south, because, like, I don't know about you, but, but when I read the Bible, if I, if I don't read a study Bible, the place names don't mean much because I don't know where they are. If we don't have an atlas right out, we just read over all that and think, you know, the places don't really matter to the story. But in verse 1 of the story of the Tower of Babel, there's a little directional note that we don't want to miss. It says the people were moving east. Moving east and settled in a plane out to the east. That's what it, it says. Does that matter? You may wonder. Thank you for asking. From the story of Adam and Eve, we begin to see directions in the Bible. When Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, guess which direction they go? East. When Cain goes on from the family, as he moves further out, he and his family move east. The story of Noah's Ark, which is a story, right, of, of, of sort of recreation, of starting again. Noah, when the Ark ends, lands, it moves back to the west. But then, as Noah and his family depart the Ark, and there becomes tension in Noah's family, the family begins to move to the east. And now, as they continue to spread out, the Bible says they continue moving east. If we pay attention to the direction in these stories, we begin to see something, right? There's stories about humanity moving away from the Garden of Eden, away from the, the world as God desires it. Humanity is as God desires for us with all love and, and no shame, humanity is beginning to move away from what is the ideal, what God wants for us. Away from God's original intent. And in a moment, we're going to see, right, that God doesn't want God's people to settle there. God doesn't want God's people to settle out and, a, and away from what God intends, the peace and goodness and joy and love that God intends for God's people. The story, in this sense, I think it presents a really good question for us to ask in our own lives when we're searching and when we're, we're asking about our own faith. I think we can ask ourselves this, this question, in what direction are you moving in your life? Are you moving toward God? Toward God's intent? Toward love and goodness and grace that God wants for God's people? Or are we moving away from God? Are you moving away from God's love, God's goodness, God's joy? Collectively, we might ask, are we moving toward God's desire for community and relationships built in humility and grace shown us in Jesus? Or are we moving away from that kind of community that God desires for us? I came that they may have life, Jesus says in John's gospel. Indeed, live life to the fullest. The next question 
after we talk about what direction we're moving is what we're willing to settle for. Are we willing to settle for life where not everybody knows God's love? Are we willing to settle for less than what God desires for us? Or are we moving in our life toward the fullness of what God offers in Jesus? Which leads to another observation in the story. Right? We talked about the brick. It's this amazing new piece of, of technology. And the, the people, are, they're excited to see what they can do with it. And so they, they take this brick and they, they begin to, to build. They begin to make bricks and, 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 and create. And it's very interesting in the Bible when, when people talk, if you see that it's uninterrupted, it's, it's sort of all one thought sequence. But when it's interrupted, you should pay attention. It means something is really happening in between the two. In this case, in the Tower of Babel story, what the people are saying is interrupted. First, they say... Right? Oh, look what we can do. We can build with, with bricks. And we might notice that in response, God says, nothing. There's nothing wrong with this technology. God doesn't have an issue with bricks. But then the people say, we're going to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for ourselves. And at this point, God intercedes Right? It's, it's at this point, the people begin to, to build and, and they begin to organize. They begin to settle away from God's intended land, God's intended way. And it's at this point as they, as they start to say, we want to we make a name for ourselves. We want to be like God. We no longer want to scatter and spread. We want to settle on our own terms. We want to be in control. And this it's at this point that God intervenes. God comes to see what they are doing and then scatters them out with different languages. Now we have another question posed by the story. How will you use the gifts you've been given? To make a name for yourself? to settle in a way that is safe for you and your family? Or will we use the gifts we've been given to serve God? To continue to seek to build the kind of community that is just and kind and loving and not to settle for anything less for ourselves or for our community and our world. How will we use the gifts we've been given? Every so often, somebody will ask me as a pastor, a pastor in the United Methodist Church, they'll, they'll say, why don't you preach more about sin? And, and it sometimes comes up that way, or, or sometimes people will not make it directly like about my preaching, but they'll, they'll come up and be like, why doesn't the United Methodist Church talk more about, about sin? I always find the question a little bit curious. And part of me always wants to go, do you really want to talk about sin? <laughs> but I've given that question a lot of thought lately, and I think, 
I think something else is happening when that question is asked. I think a lot of times when people ask that question, what they're, what they're often asking is, we, we would like somebody to preach on sin and to, to list those sins that will help other people get in line with us. Like, not my, I don't want to talk about my sin. I think that's what they're saying when they say that. I, I actually don't want to talk about my sin. I want you to list all the sins in the Old Testament and the, and the sins lists in the, in the New Testament, sins involving violence or, or sexuality or, or slander, and then I, I apply them to other people so that they all live good lives like me. I think often we want morality that we can then impose on others. But here's the thing, though. Those lists of sins are very well sins that still in the world today. Many of those things in those lists. But, but they are listed in those lists in the Old Testament and New Testament because the teachers at that time were trying to help the people see all of the ways that they were not putting God first in their lives. Those lists of sins in the Old Testament, those things that Paul talked about, they were specific to a time and a place and a people, and they were, they were being, there were things they were doing to worship other gods. There were things that were causing damaged relationships in the community. There were things that people were doing to move away from God's intent. Right? Sin is separation from what God wants for humanity, for each of us. Sin is moving away from God. If we're going to talk about sin today, and here's the thing, I think as a church we do talk about sin today. We may not use the word sin, but we do talk about how is it that we grow closer to God and stop moving away from God. If we're going to talk about sin today, we're going to have to talk about some tough things in our culture today. We're going to have to, to talk about this quest that so many of us have to make a name for ourselves in our jobs, in, in the way we make money, in the, in the very way society is structured. You give a lot of money and you get a building named after you. Like, like all of that is structured around this desire to make a name for ourselves. I've had this joke recently with my family. We don't have any you know, money that we're going to build a building. I'm like, I just want a bench someday. But if I'm going to preach about this, I don't want my name on it. Like, just put it halfway up a mountain and put, put a note on it that says, this bench is left in memory of somebody who needed it right here, like you. Have a seat, or something to that effect. Right, we're going to have to talk about how we live and orient our culture and our lives and even our churches is it about making a name for God and a community that bears God's name, or is it about making a name for ourselves? We're going to have to talk about the difference between using social media to make ourselves look good and using social media to truly build community. And the sin and harm in one and the possibility that it still carries in another. We're going to have to talk 
about practices in our culture today where people withdraw from community and build gates around themselves and open their own schools for their own comfort and safety and goodness and protection while ignoring the impact that it has on the rest of the community. Ignoring the impact of those decisions. We're going to have to talk about the times in our own lives when we put our own comforts and needs first. We're going to have to look at our own resources and ask, are these directed so that my family or myself will be comfortable? Or are they oriented in a way that that shows that I'm putting God first in my life and want to build God's community here and around me? See, I think we do talk about sin here at Clay and in the United Methodist Church. But instead of asking for a list of, of sins that we can apply to other people, the Tower of Babel story actually gives us a couple questions that I think we can use to ask about our own lives and our own sinfulness. Question one In what direction are we moving? in any given life change toward God and God's desire or away from God? And question two, who or what are you building for with your life? To make a name for your family? to be sure you, sure you and your family are comfortable? Or, or are you, or you building for a, a community that resembles what God calls us to be in and through the way of Jesus? Are you seeking to make a name for God? Is your life about building toward the kind of justice and, and mercy and kindness, the biblical definition of, of God's community, God's kingdom? Two questions we can ask ourselves about anything we do, really anything we say at any point in our lives if we want to sort of root out sin from our own lives. In what direction are you moving in your life? And who or what are you building for? I'll also acknowledge that I know that I don't talk about sin much without sort of bookending it with a conversation about Jesus and about grace. I don't talk about sin much without saying, do you know what? God is right there inviting us again and again to turn back to Jesus with our lives. Some people teach there's a lesson in the, in the Tower of Babel sometimes that, that God curses the people by spreading them out and, and, and mixing up their languages. But, but I just want to ask us to think for a moment today, what if what God does isn't a curse? 
It's interesting in this text, it doesn't say curse anywhere. In other places, there are curses in the Bible for people who aren't following God's way. But in this case, there is no curse. It doesn't say that. It simply says that God spread them out and gave them other languages. This is actually a teaching of Rabbi David Foreman, who suggests that maybe the gift of different languages means that for people to work together to create, to do good things in the world, to achieve, they will first have to be humble. They'll first have to learn the language of the other. And inevitably, when we learn the language of another, we have to begin to know a little bit of the culture of the other. We have to put aside our need to to have it all our way and begin to think about the other. To learn another's perspective means patience. It means building relationships. What if God is saying in the Tower of Babel story, to become the people that I've created you to become, to find the joy and the goodness and the peace of life that you seek and that I intend for you, you're going to have to work together. You're going to have to recognize the myriad of gifts that I've given and spread out among you. You're going to need to build not just for yourself or to make a name for yourself. But you're going to need to build for each other, for community. We'll see later for the least of these so that all may know who I am and my love for everyone. It's interesting The next time different languages comes up in the Bible with this kind of magnitude and scope is in Pentecost. And at Pentecost, right, Jesus has invited his followers to go and spread out and share the good news. And where are they? They're in a room trying to be comfortable together. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit enters that room and Jesus enters to tell them, no, 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 I've called you. And now I'm going to give you the gift of different languages again so you can go out and spread the news of my way and my grace everywhere. Jesus has spent his entire ministry reminding them that, look, if you've lost the way, turn back to me. If you've lost sight of of God in your life, I'm going to show you in my very sacrifice for you. I'm going to show you that God hasn't given up on you. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus sits down with the disciples and he teaches the way. And for those that know the Tower of Babel story, we might hear some things. You can imagine the disciples at Pentecost, Jesus has reappeared and they're thinking about all the things Jesus has taught them. And there was this Sermon on the Mount and it was memorable to all of them. They all recorded some some portion of it and they remember, Jesus said to them, don't pray to be seen. Go into a closet and and pray so that it's, it's real and it's heartfelt and it's about your relationship with God. Don't store up treasures for yourself, Jesus says in that sermon. 
Don't worry about anything, even being uprooted or or scattered, because God is going to provide for you. And then he says these words. These words that if we carry nothing else today, I invite us to carry these words. Jesus says to them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In what direction are you going in your life? And what or who are you building for? Amen.